we discussed last time the reasons why Yeshua had to declare the spoils of Yerichoi a chayrim, something which wasn't meant to be used by people, something which had been dedicated to the use of the Mishkan, either because it was a kind of a truma, it was the first, so to speak, of Klaishra's conquests, or alternatively because it was taken on Shabbos, and therefore there was some degree of Chil and Shabbos involved, and even though that had been mandated, Yeshua felt that that was correct as far as uh, destroying the people and taking the city, but that they shouldn't therefore be allowed also to benefit from the spoils that had been accrued to them through Chil Shabbos. Right, now we're going to continue Yeshua's message to them, and he says to them that they're going to blow the shepherds, and when the Kohen do that, then it will all sound the true, and it will bring down the wall. And we're starting from uh, Pasuk Chof, it says, Vayara Ha'om, the people blew the true, Vayitko Vashepharis, the Kohen blew the shepherds, when the people all heard the sound of the shofar, as they were meant to do, they blew a true The walls sank into the ground. The people then went into the city. Each one found the soldier opposing him. They conquered the city. The way the wall fell, it didn't fall forwards or backwards, it sank straight into the ground which proved to the miraculous nature of how the wall fall. If a wall normally falls because it's not balanced or because it's not strong enough, so well enough supported, it'll either fall forwards or backwards. But the idea of a wall falling vertically into the ground is something which has to be miraculous. It means the ground opens up, so to speak, in order for the wall to fall straight down. Which is why, if a person visits Yerichoi and he sees the ruins of the walls of Yerichoi, which have been excavated, they're still standing. They're still standing because the wall never crumbled. The wall fell vertically into the ground. And that's why if a person does have the opportunity to see the walls of Yerichoi, there's a bracha to say. It's one of those places where a person can make the bracha of She'asa Nisim Lavisein Vamaka Vazeh, a place where miracles were done for our ancestors. Right. And what happens after the people entered Yerichoi, they destroy everything in the city. Men and women, young and old, even the animals, and the donkeys. We asked before why was the miracle restricted to bringing down the wall, whereas the actual battle, the actual fighting, they had to do on their own. So the, really the answer for this is understanding the nature of the mitzvah that Torah gave us in destroying the nations of Canaan. And it's in a specific category of its own. It's called Milchemes Mitzvah. And let me explain. There are a number of times the Jewish people could go to war. It could be a defensive war because we're being attacked by some foreign force. It could be a war to gain property or more territory. And then we have the wars against the seven nations of Canaan and the war against Amalek. And the difference between the first two categories of war, which means either a war which is defensive because we're being attacked, or a war to gain more territory, they considered Milchemes Harishos. Masha'enken, which is not the case, where a war against the seven nations of Canaan, or a war against Amalek, is called Milchemes Mitzvah. A war which is a mitzvah to fight. What's the difference? It's the difference between a mitzvah, which is what we call 
a mitzvah chiyavis, a mitzvah which is obligatory on everybody, or a mitzvah which is based on circumstances. So, for example, it's the same difference between wearing tzitzis and wearing tefillin. Wearing tefillin is a mitzvah chiyavis. It's a mitzvah that every Jewish man has to find and put on tefillin uh, every single day. And he's, it's a, regardless of the circumstances, he's obligated to do that. That's not the case by tzitzis. Tzitzis is a mitzvah on the circumstance, which means when a person has clothing which has four corners, he's mechuyev, he's obligated to put tzitzis on. But if a person doesn't have any four-corner clothing, so then there's no absolute chiyav now to put on tzitzis because there isn't the circumstance which would require him in order to put on tzitzis. And therefore, that same idea applies to different wars. A war which is defensive or a war which is there to take territory is circumstantial. Because right now there's a battle, so then we have to fight the battle because we have to protect ourselves or we have to prevent an enemy, uh, so to speak, killing members of Klai Israel, and therefore the circumstances force us to go to war. If the war could be prevented and was necessary, that would be even better. The Chiyav to fight only comes because of the circumstances which necessitate the war. But when it comes to the nations of Knan or Amalek, so then it's a mitzvah, it's a Milchemis mitzvah, it's a war which has to be fought, it's a mitzvah to fight it. And the reason is, is because there it's not circumstantial. There we had a Chiyuv to destroy either the seven nations of Knan, the Torah says, Leitachai Kol Neshama. They were depraved to the level that just their existence would impact, impact negatively on the Jewish people. Or in the case of Amalek, who considered the enemies of Hashem, so their very existence interferes with, so to speak, the establishment of Hashem's throne in this world. And therefore, when it comes to the nations of Knan or Amalek, there's a mitzvah chiyuvis. There's an absolute obligation to, in, to make the war, to declare battle in order to destroy and wipe out the enemy. And therefore, here also, since they were fighting against the nation of Canaan, the miracle didn't come to take away their mitzvah. It wasn't just because they were soldiers who were fighting them. There was a hechitimti now. There was a circumstance where they needed to protect themselves. And had the miracle dealt with the enemy soldiers, it would be in so much the better. Not. Over here we're talking about soldiers of Canaan, one of the seven nations which had to be destroyed, and therefore it was our mitzvah to kill the people of Yericho. And therefore the, the nice made it easy for us, it took out the wall, and therefore it was easy for us to attack, but it didn't take away our mitzvah. And therefore the soldiers, the population of Yericho was left for Kaisal to destroy, and that would be the mitzvah of wiping out the seven nations of Canaan. Okay, it says... Uh, to the two men who had been the spies, go to the house of the lady, the one who looked after them. From there, the lady and everybody else who was part of her family, which they had promised her that they would do. And that's what they did. The Miraglim who called him Noarim, they went to her house. Why they called Noarim? Noarim as a noun normally means a child or a young person and the, the Miraglim in question definitely weren't young people Kalev was 85 at the time and if that's the case why they're called Na'arim so we see from the Mephoshim here that Na'arim besides for being used like I said as a child when it's used as a noun like Na'ar Hoyisi I was young I was a child it can also be used as an adjective and therefore the, the Anoshim here 
the Miraglim are called Na'orim. Why? There's two more meanings for the word Na'ar. The one he has brought by the Radak, and that is that we find by Yeshua. That Yeshua bin Nun was called Na'ar. Why? Because he was the Misharis of Moshe. He was the helper of Moshe, somebody who considered himself um, under the authority of Moshe. And therefore, Na'orim in that sense means somebody subservient. And therefore, since the Miraglim here considered themselves subservient to Yeshua, and they had to take orders from him, therefore they called Na'orim. The second reason given here is by Rashi. And Rashi also finds places in Tanakh where the word Na'orim is the way the way of something is done is like the way a child would do it, which means which means with rizos, with alacrity. And therefore, when Yeshua told them to go to Rachel's house to protect her and her family, they had to go quickly because since the war was happening, and there was the possibility of Jewish soldiers, so to speak, ransacking the house and destroying its inhabitants, with them not knowing that this was the family of Rachel, therefore the Miraglim had to move quickly to be there to protect her to ensure that no, no one would harm her by mistake. So they came to her, they took out Rachav and her mother and her father, her brothers, all her things and all her family, they took them out, and they left them outside the Jewish camp, and really by doing that, they had fulfilled their obligation. Their obligation was their promise that they would keep her alive, they would protect her from being killed when Yericho was taken, and they did that. They took her, they removed her from the battle zone, and they left her outside the Jewish camp. Their lives had all been spared. And now after all the people in the town had been killed, and Rachav and his family had safely been taken away, then they burned the city in fire, it was reduced to a ruin. All the vessels, which would be made out of the various metals, gold, silver, copper or metal they put into the treasury of the Mikdosh like we said before that they weren't going to take spoil from Yerichai and therefore all the valuables had been donated dedicated to the Mishkan and that's the end of Yerichai we'll soon see that there wasn't the end of Yerichai there was a further point that Yeshua enacted he made a curse on anybody who rebuilds Yerichai we'll see that soon but before that Yeshua did beyond what was required, what was promised, and that was just to keep Rachav alive. But now Yeshua actively brought them into Klai Yisrael, Vatesha, Vakari Yisrael, Ariyamazeh. They became part of the Jewish people, which this Chazal explained that Yeshua converted them and made them into Jews. We asked before if there was a loud because they were, were they of the seven nations who they had a mitzvah to kill, and we saw before two answers in the Foshim. The one is that Rachav wasn't from the seven nations, she was just in, living in Yericho for financial reasons, and that's where her business was, and therefore there wasn't a khiv to kill her and her family. The other, and therefore, the reason she was afraid was that people wouldn't know that, and they would kill her with her family without realizing that they weren't khiv to do that. And if that's the case, so, so to speak, there was no halachic uh, exception which needed to be drawn here to save her life if she wasn't to be killed anyway the second Mahalakhi is that even if Rachav was from one of the seven nations but there was the option of the seven nations um, declaring in advance that they, they didn't want to fight 
and agreeing to lay down their weapons and ask for peace. We saw before that only applied before the Jewish people crossed the Israel. But being as that was the case, Rachov definitely did ask for peace before the Jewish people crossed when the spies came to visit her. And if that's the case, there would be a reason for them to allow her to stay alive and not kill her. And once it's no longer Rachiv to kill her, then they would be allowed to beguile her as well. Now, Chazal said even more than that, and it wasn't just that Yeshua kept her alive and converted her. Really, Chazal said further than that, that Yeshua even married her. And therefore, we talk about the descendants of Racha Vazaina as really it was from her marriage to Yoshua. Now, and therefore, besides for the fact that the Maraglim saved her, Yoshua also felt indebted to her, and therefore he went a stage beyond just saving her life, and he invited her the opportunity to become part of Klal Israel. It could also be that Rachel's speech, the Maraglim of that house, we saw that HaKadosh Baruch was in charge, and now uh, everyone was terrified of him because he was the uh, true God, also as a Kedosh Hashem, and therefore she was entitled to join the Jewish people. Okay, and now we get to the last Pasuk, Bayashba Yeshua, Bayesa Hilemar, Yeshua made the Jewish people promise, and not only that, but also with a curse, that they would never rebuild Yericha. And he says, Cursed to be the person who will get up and rebuild the city, Yerichoi. The double language is uh, the Mephoshim explained the Malbim says, either they would rebuild a city on the place where Yerichoi was, even if they're going to call it a different name, or they would build a city somewhere else and call it Yerichoi. Either way around, if a person does either of those, when he lays down the foundation, he'll lose his firstborn. And he'll complete the structure by putting in the doors, his youngest child will die. Now, we have to understand why did Yeshua feel it was important to make this curse? And why was he so adamant that Yericho shouldn't be rebuilt? At the end of the day, once the city has been burnt, the inhabitants have been destroyed, and even all the possessions have been given to the Mishkan, so then the real estate, the area which Yericho was settled on, belonged to the Jewish people and was meant to be inhabited. Why was Yeshua uh, so strict about forbidding it to be rebuilt ever again? So there are two reasons given in the Mephoshim. The first one is it was meant to be a warning to all the other nations of Canaan that they would see what happened to Yericho and they would understand that that was what was in store for them as well. And even though at this stage Kleistra already had crossed the Arden and therefore suing for peace, for peace was no longer an option to them, but it had the effect of uh, definitely causing fear when they saw that Yericho, which was considered one of the strongest cities, was laid waste and destroyed. So then they would definitely lose their resolve to attack Klai Yisrael in the other cities also. Right? If that, that is, this reason is brought by the Mephoshim, it's just a little bit difficult. And if that's the case, the nature of Yeshua's curse should have been temporary, as long as the campaign against the other cities of Canaan lasted. Whereas we see the, the curse was for all future time. And in fact, there was somebody who did try to rebuild Yericho hundreds of years later in the time of King Ahab. His name was Khil Besa'eli. And the curse became true, materialized. When he began, he lost his oldest. And when he finished, he lost his youngest. So the, the potency of this curse of Yeshua lasted even hundreds of years later. And therefore, we also need to understand what the reason for that was. 
and what was the specific punishment that a person who rebuilds Yericho would lose all his children. So the second reason given, and that is that like we saw before, Yeshua wasn't able to add days to the calendar. To make a new Yom Tov is something that needed to be sanctioned by the Torah, and the Nevim didn't have the ability, so to speak, to add new Yom Tovim for miracles which happened. If that's the case, all they could do was make a commemoration in the place where it happened, and every people would remember the Ness. And therefore, just like we saw by the stones that the Jewish people took out of the Yarden and set up in Gilgal and at the banks of the river as a reminder of the Ness of how they crossed the Yarden, and it was a, so to speak, a memorial in the location where the miracle took place, as opposed to the date when the miracle took place, the same thing Yeshua wanted for Yericho. Being as the way that Yericho is conquered was miraculous, so the ruin of Yericho would serve to be the reminder of that miracle. Whereas if the city had been rebuilt and our people went to see the new city of Yericho, there would be no reminder in place of the Yericho which had been destroyed and the miraculous nature in which that had happened. And therefore Davka leaving Yericho as a ruin and Davka leaving it with, as, as the remains of the Yericho that had been would serve as the reminder to the nais which happened in Yericho. And Yeshua wanted this nais and the reminder of the nais to last for all future time. Like we said, there's even a bracha made on that. And if a person would see the ruins of Yericho, you could make the bracha of And if that's the case, Yeshua's punishment was whoever would rebuild Yericho and therefore destroy the memorial of the nets, so he would lose all his children. A person's children are meant to be his continuation, the, the next generation which bears his name. And therefore, whoever would take away the miracle of Yericho would suffer similarly that he would lose his progeny and he would have no continuity either. Hashem was with Yeshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So either because of, we're talking about the fear that all the people had of Yeshua because they saw that his success against Yericho or because they saw that Hashem was doing miracles for him and therefore they respected him as being a prophet that Hashem was with him. And that brings us to the end of the story of Klaishal's first conquest of the city of Yerichai.